morning, afternoon, or night, whenever you decide to roll out of bed, we're your hosts, Kristen Hoyles and Sarah Yako. And welcome to our podcast, Waking Up with Millennials. It's a new day and a new year, and we're kicking it off with the very first episode of this podcast. Typically, we'll be interviewing guests to explore their journeys and the turning points that led them to where they find themselves today. But we're going to start off this series with some reflections on the past year and how those events helped further solidify our efforts towards our larger mission. Why don't we start off by helping you understand a little bit about who the heck you're listening to right now. So to start off, I'm Sarah Yako. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I'm an interior designer designing offices for a very well-known and high-tech client that I cannot mention. And I have a bachelor's degree in interior design from Ball State University. My name is Kristen Hoyles. I am a healthcare internal systems educator. I'm a Midwest girl through and through. I am located in Indianapolis, Indiana. My education has definitely been a journey, but I just recently finished my bachelor's degree in general studies. So Sarah and I know each other. How long have we known each other now? Since we were three? Since we were three. Oh my goodness. So 27 years? Yeah, since the kindergarten days. We were friends in kindergarten. We had one class together in all of our experience in elementary school. And we were friends throughout. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because we, we occasionally had recess together over the years and would always try to hang out each other then I think with each other then I think we I think we had like two recesses together maybe three recesses together or something like that over the five or six years we're in elementary school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then yeah we would have lunch together and you'd always let me eat your fruit yes because I always (laughs) hated the syrup that it would be in it was so nasty (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, and then in sixth grade, when we transitioned schools to our intermediate school, we were both in orchestra. I played cello. I played violin. And the rest is history. Going into high school, I think we kind of both went not necessarily our separate ways, but we would, we weren't hanging out as much until I would say my senior year is when we really started to hang out more often. And then throughout college, you definitely made a huge effort to keep in contact with all of your friends. I think you led the charge in making sure our friendship circle all stayed together and stayed really close. And you were really that glue for all of us. Yeah, well, I'm selfish. And and I like people who bring me joy. And you're absolutely one of those people. So I want to be around you as much as possible. And same thing with all of our other friends. So... And I had a car and I had a driver's license. You didn't, didn't you not have a driver's license until your freshman year of college or sophomore year of college? It was freshman year of college, (laughs) but I didn't have a car. So like, I have always been afraid of driving. (laughs) You were a terrible driver. I was, I've gotten better and it's not fair to judge me when I never (laughs) had a car to drive. I literally just learned how to drive, got my license and then didn't drive for like two years. (laughs) So this is true. This is true. So Kristen, just so our listeners can get a little bit more insight into 
how you perceive yourself. We have these quirky titles on our collective page of our website, livingthemomentum.com slash collective. And your quirky title is introverted lover of people. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So I would consider myself an introverted person. I find relaxation and find my ways to recharge by being by myself. But at the same time, I love people so much. I love learning about people's different perspectives. I love engaging and talking with people. But at the same time, it is still depleting for me to put myself out in social interactions with people. I, this is going to sound a little weird, but I love people in private. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think a lot of people love people in private, Kristen. <laughs> but I, like, I, I love just thinking and reflecting and thinking about people and all of their quirks and oddities that I just love about them. And in that same vein, when I'm in person with people, I sometimes, my introverted self is revealed and I'm not as socially engaging when I'm in front of people. And so that's why I decided to call myself an introverted lover of people because my introvertedness does not detract from the love that I have for learning about new people and loving on people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, Kristen. Oh my God. So, funny. so Sarah, you um, describe yourself as being a spiritual postman. Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So I wrestled with this when it comes down to who I am and how I project myself and also want to project myself. It's being a spiritual postman. <laughs> so Growing up, I was very religious. I grew up Catholic and I didn't go to a Catholic school or anything like that. And my mom actually raised me in a particular way to feel welcome to question the rules of Catholicism and the rules of religion in general. So it was it was not as uh, confining as an upbringing as most people would assume that a Catholic upbringing would be. But in recent years, I've been on a journey of re-exploring spirituality, religion, belief as a whole, and, you know, the whole meaning of life bullshit. And <laughs> I do feel very connected, at least to people. And my interpretation of whatever else I feel connected to is an ongoing thing. But I, I definitely feel connected to people and I often find that in having conversations with people and having conversations with you, I don't think I'm a conveyor of advice in a particular way whatsoever, but I do think the experiences I've had and the fact that I am very straightforward and confident in the things that I put out to people, there's something that gets conveyed to someone that is potentially worthwhile to them or challenging to them at the very least. If like, I don't, I don't know what I bring to, to the table for everyone. It's always different, but I do think that there's messages that we all convey, but I feel like there's some aspect of the communication and, and the way that I am that challenges people in a particular way to reflect on themselves at yeah, the very least. Like you, you are um, 
you illuminate those hard truths that people aren't willing to face. Yeah. And I, I blatantly call those things out too. Like I will straight up tell someone that they're being rude or they're being too passive. And that's a straight up message. <laughs> Most often than not, does my opinion really matter to them? Should it really matter to them? Probably not. But it's an opinion that's shared that might not often be heard. And it's a moment that people should reflect on. And if they completely disagree with the thing that's said, fine. They should be happy about moving on in their way and not being bothered by what was said to them. If they are bothered, why are they bothered? And for me, I think it's important to some degree to actually make people feel a little bit bothered because growth can only occur when change is happening and change is uncomfortable. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable, if you're always feeling at a place where you feel content or pleasant in your life, you're not actually participating in change in your life. So Henceforth, spiritual postman. So many things have happened this year, and we're only going to touch on a few of those topics. I want to start off by talking about the passing of Gigi and Kobe Bryant earlier this year, when he, his daughter, and other teammates and players and parents of players on Gigi's team all tragically passed away in a helicopter accident. Sports have always been a great equalizer for the Black mm. community. You can't deny somebody's athletic talents. And it has been a way for Black people to really excel and to have this icon pass at the start of the year. Just, it really did kind of set the tone for the rest of the year. It was almost like a, a foreshadowing of tragedy to come. We also had the Australian bushfires that were happening. Not too many people here were affected by the Australian bushfires. However, we all saw the devastating imagery in the news. But Sarah, you've traveled to that part of the world. How did that affect you? It was definitely an interesting time that felt a little bit like the end of times, but it was it didn't emotionally hit me in a particular way because Australia is so far away. And even though I had lived there for a short time, it was like, okay, well, that's a part of the world. It gets hot there sometimes. There's fires there sometimes. And now I live in Portland, Oregon, wherein this year also in this area saw one of the biggest fire spreads throughout the state that it has ever seen. And the air pollution that resulted from those fires was insane. And prior to living in both locations, I had lived in the Midwest where this is not an issue. And I was not aware of how devastating wildfires can be, not only for people losing their homes and animals losing their habitats, but for air becoming not breathable those experiences really do just feel like the end of times. Again, another moment that just set the tone <laughs> for this year. And that was also at the very beginning of the year. Yeah. And then we come to the impeachment of Donald Trump um, for threatening to withhold foreign aid from Ukraine in return for an investigation into Hunter Biden. Um, of course, we wanted his removal from office. I think so many yeah. of us were just kind of like... <laughs> get him out um but but um there is something to be said that history will show that trump has joined both andrew johnson and bill clinton as the three presidents to be impeached 
he he most definitely has an, a historical presidency and I don't think it's in the ways that he was expecting. <laughs> and then we get to COVID. Coronavirus is finally taken seriously in the United States. Thinking back to when the states first started locking down, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, we have to do two weeks of this. Two weeks mm-hmm. of not being able to go out to the bars and like hang out with friends and that's insane. Like, I remember thinking like, this is, what are we going to, this is awful. This is so horrible. I'm going to be so stir crazy. And here we are in December. So I'm just like wondering what were your sort of initial thoughts with this virus and what were your fears? Okay. So it is January, 2021 and over 300,000 people nearing on 400,000 people have died. That startling statistic. Yeah, it is. And we're the only country that hasn't taken these more severe steps that other countries have done and have saved thousands and thousands of lives from dying. It's insane. But the statistics thing for me, like that happened over time. Because there were these early predictions of how many people would die by a certain time. So then by the time those months had passed and we had hit those numbers, it was like, okay, like, is this trend continuing? Because we hit the original numbers that we thought we were going to hit earlier on in coronavirus. I was at the beach learning how to surf. There were like hundreds and hundreds of people at the beach because (laughs) things had shut down in Portland. So everyone was like, oh, it's a nice day. It's like 65 and sunny at the ocean. So let's go there. Yeah. And so that was a bad idea. But then, you know, over time, paying attention to the statistics, I was like starting to take things more seriously. However, at the time, I was also online dating. And... (laughs) And I had started to see this guy and he was great but ultimately we had some differences that you know we just didn't end up together one of those differences though was influenced by his response to COVID to be honest he was a blue collar worker like steel powder coater guy (laughs) I don't know how to actually like call his um his title, but that's essentially what he does. At a certain point, he was considered an essential worker. And he was telling me that the setup in the facility that he worked, people were stationed six feet apart, masks were required, but that a lot of people would just like, you know, have their noses out or whatever and stuff like that. And he'd come to my place after he was at work. And I lived in an apartment building at the time, not, not too big of an apartment building, like 40 apartments or so and but you have to go up an elevator and you know go through the front door and all that stuff so he'd come in immediately start macking on me and this like not washing his hands or anything (laughs) and I mean that's not an issue it's like not it's not like his face is touching the elevator buttons or anything like that yeah but the issue was that I, so what I loved about this dude is that he just treated me like I was insatiable, like not insatiable, but that he just like wanted me. So it was like nice that when he'd come over, he'd just like pick me up and start making out with me. But this motherfucker 
liked his fingers being licked. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, like, I was not mad about licking his fingers. It was like erotic that he got so aroused. But so the thing is, we started seeing each other after after lockdowns had happened with COVID. And then we continued to see each other as like more information was coming out. And this motherfucker still kept coming over, not washing his hands and like continuing to mack on me. First thing he did, even though I had said to him like, oh, you should wash your hands like a couple of times. Like I wasn't being like super serious about it at the time. But if we immediately engaged in like some bedroom activities with the whole finger licking situation, it was just kind of rude, you know, like I know you want this, but like now you might have given me COVID like what the fuck? Oh man, dating in the time of Corona is just an experience that I did not even allow myself to do. I I feel like I'm always like really skeeved out by people just in general. And now it's just like, <laughs> like I couldn't I like I couldn't bring myself to do it. How has this affected you? When did you take it seriously? So I'm a Midwest girl and <laughs> Oh, I may get some shit for this, but to be honest, I I wasn't taking it seriously until until my job was like you you have to stay home. We are quarantining for for two weeks alongside the state, saying that our state is now shutting down. I had to travel for work, and at the it was kind of this perfect marriage of my computer not acting properly, and I had to drive about six hours to get to my destination. So I didn't really have contact with anyone because I don't like to be on my phone while I'm driving. And so once I get to the hotel where I'm staying at, I'm realizing like, man, this is kind of a ghost town. Like what is going on? And when I log into my computer, I realize, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) Like I probably shouldn't have come on this trip. I didn't realize that that was what was going on in the world, to be honest. I spoke with my boss. She said to go, I had to go to a convention there. And so went ahead and did that. And then I remember on my way back, I was thinking about stopping by my parents. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. That makes me a little uncomfortable. But I had like, I think two Red Bulls on the way down and (laughs) just so I could stay awake. (laughs) And I called one of my friends And I was just kind of like, hey, are you by chance awake? Because it's like midnight at this point. And he was just like, yeah, we're actually at the bars. This was this was now Saturday. And I met up with him and some friends at a bar. And we were all talking about this thing called coronavirus and how all of the bars were pretty much empty and how awesome it was. (laughs) We could be in a bar with no one there. And I'm just like... And then the next day was like when everyone was celebrating St. Patrick's Day and we went to a bar. The next day we went to a bar in Indianapolis that usually has a really big St. Patrick's Day festival. And we went there, hung out with people. I mean, no, the idea of wearing a mask in public was unheard of. No one was doing that. And and then that Monday I went to work and my boss said, okay, after today, we are we are going to be quarantining. And I'm like, this is this is why I was literally in another state for work, came back, went out to the bar super late at night, went to the bars again the next night. And then come Monday, it's 
you have to quarantine and stay in your house and not leave. It was just like a wild turnaround, which brought about a lot of fears for me. I remember some of my first moments I was quarantining. I was living with my cousin at the time and she and I were like, we're going to get our bodies right. We're going to look so good. And then like <laughs> at the same time, we're also just like, we need to learn karate in case, you know, of social collapse. <laughs> like, and it was just like this idea of like, let's, you know, go to the grocery store and we weren't the toilet paper bandits that were out there, but we definitely were trying to load up on food and make it so that we only had to leave the house like once every two weeks to restock and definitely limiting our news exposure. Cause I was just starting to freak out more about it. And mm-hmm. yeah. And that was, that's, that's been sort of the backdrop for the rest of the year. As we entered the summertime of 2020, we see the resurgence of Black Lives Matter. And with the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery in February, and the public murder of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, and the resurgence of the Elijah McClain case. These four cases were pivotal in this movement. I think these are the four cases that got the most attention throughout Black Lives throughout the Black Lives Matter protests of the summer. But these are only four names of hundreds of people who have been wrongly killed and did not receive the justice they deserved since 1619, my God. With the Ahmaud Aubrey case that happened in Georgia, where it was a Black man who went for a run, went to check out some parts of his community, and was chased down and murdered by white men. This one really, my, I have a lot of family in Georgia, um, family who goes for runs, family who are black men that go for runs. And that could have been my brother. It could have been my cousin. Like just every time these situations happened, it, it, you have to stop and think like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. To be honest, I almost feel like talking about this does it a disservice. It's worth a mention, but I also, I don't think any of my words are going to result in any justice for the things that happened to these people. You did mention 1619. And I just want to clarify that that is the year that enslaved people were brought to America. And I also want to share that if our listeners are unaware, they should absolutely listen to the 1619 Project. It is very illuminating about the, I would say, evolution of how slavery has continued until today and how it has morphed through the ways that people think that it's gone or that somehow we're in like a post-racial society, which clearly we are not. And how many of our systems are still influenced by the incredibly racist systems and mentalities that have existed at least since 1619 and far beyond that because British empire and all that bullshit. So with the backdrop of Black Lives Matter protests and efforts made towards making a more equitable society, 
we had the the sudden passing of Chadwick Boseman, who was the actor who played Black Panther in the Marvel series, as well as a lot of significant figures in the Black community. We have the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, and her work in making um, a society that is more equal on the basis of sex. Um, Her work is going to continue despite the fact that Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in. But we also have the election of 2020 and feelings going into that. To me, going into the election of 2020 felt very similar to the election going into 2016. My hope had been broken. I I feel like I'm still in just survival mode, whether it's from this, of course, invisible virus, but then you also have You know, I live in a part of the state where people celebrate the Confederate flag and don't understand how unbelievably disrespectful it is for their neighbors. And so I just going into this election, there's so much on on the table. And I remember waking up that day, just something that I do every election, and I'll listen to Cat Stevens' Peace Train. I'll listen to it over and over again on repeat in the morning. I will listen to it while I'm in line to vote. I vote. I listen to it on the way back to my car, and then I listen to it on the drive home while bawling my eyes out. And I've done that for like every election for the past, I think, since I was able to vote in 20, in 2018, 2018, 2008, 2008. (laughs) (laughs) since I was able to vote in 2008. But I also want to give a a thank you to Stacey Abrams and her work in registering people to vote in Georgia. Um, And then we also have the Georgia Senate runoff race that is happening. And I I believe that race will conclude January 5th. We also have the COVID vaccine distribution. All of these frontline workers are receiving this COVID vaccine. And I'm very excited to know that they are protected in that way. I think 2020 was kind of a reckoning. It was a way in which we are almost paying for or experiencing the consequences of the decisions that we've made in the past. And to be honest, you know, there are some things that are going to be tragic no matter what happens. But if we had actually taken moves to make a more equitable society, the reason why we have all of these things is because we're not addressing the issues in our society. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think of 2020 as a reckoning because Black Lives Matter movement, the deaths of countless Black people, Black trans people, is a result of a a lack of action. You know, I want to live in a world where the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't have to exist. I want to live in a time where trans people can live the fullness of their lives without the fear of being murdered and then not receiving the justice for for that murder. I... The reason why we have all of these things is because we're not addressing the issues in our society. Mm-hmm. You know, the passing of Chadwick Boseman, the passing of Kobe Bryant, even the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Death is always going to happen. None of us get out of this game alive. And especially with Chadwick Boseman and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, their passing would not feel so gut-wrenching if. It wasn't on this backdrop of 
violence against women and women not people not believing women and also the black community needing the hero black panther and the hero chad mcwilsman so as much as people want to contribute all these horrible things to the calendar year people have to realize that they can take steps now to prevent future years like this from happening Mm -hmm. there are consequences to all of our actions and if we're not thinking things through years like this times like this events like this are going to continue to happen yeah Damn, this shit is depressing. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So looking forward to this next year, we all have like those goals in mind that we want to accomplish by the year's end. I don't like to think of my New Year's resolution as necessarily a goal. I am someone who makes goals all the time. So making a New Year's resolution and setting it on the framework of a goal just didn't really make sense to me. So what I like to do is to ask this question. What do you want to be true about yourself by the end of the year? I think by the end of the year, I want to have a better understanding that it is true that I can participate in certain processes that I establish for myself that are at least truly helpful in my ability to get myself back to being as close to center as possible. And um, some of those things are the daily five that I have mentioned to you before, which is every day I pray or meditate. Every day I learn something. Every day I do something creative. Every day I go outside and every day I work out or do something athletic. And a lot of these things can like overlap with each other. So they're actually quite easy to achieve. And I haven't been doing these things every day, which is probably why I feel a little bit off center. But for me, I think that's sort of a key. And I want to continue to test that out and see if there's like really a truth in that. And for me, I want to work on being a more compassionate person. I am someone who has always been called empathetic and it is not something that I've ever really owned. But I'm realizing that I tend to make assumptions about the way in which someone may be feeling and I may accept that as truth without acknowledging that this is just my perception. So what I want to be able to do by the end of this year is hold space for both my own emotions and the emotions of others. So I have to ask myself that question of whether or not I'm able to hold space for both of those emotions. And then I do have some goals that may challenge this resolution. I also want to do some solo traveling this year. I want to explore sinking into my own solitude and enjoying my own company. And in doing that, I know I will be reflecting on my interactions with other people. It's a perfect year to travel alone. (laughs) I know. I know. And so I have to, I could easily push my emotions onto others in my reflections during these trips. And so I will have to continue to ask myself that question of, am I holding space for both my own emotions and the emotions of others and keeping them separate and allowing them to feel the way they want to feel and allowing myself to feel the way that I do and have compassion for both of those experiences. I think that's really wonderful. Those are some really great things to focus on for this next upcoming
Join us every other week for new episodes and insights. In the meantime, check out our blog or contribute to support our mission at liveinthemomentum.com. Special thanks to Eric Heidbreder for our theme song and audio production. If you feel like you have a story to share, reach us at info at liveinthemomentum.com.